Hello, I am Ariel Munafo. And I am Moshe Ferber. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast. The podcast about security engineering. Hello, everyone. A new episode of uh, Silver Lining Podcast. And uh, this is the first time that uh, we are doing also on video, on a blog. And uh, very happy uh, to do it uh, since the COVID is still with us. And, uh, and that's it. <laughs> this is life. How are you, Moshe? Perfect, thank you. Yes, first time for us in this format. Finally, uh, this is how you look like. Okay. <laughs> yes. No, I'm just kidding. So this is, the first, this is the first time that you will also be able to hear us, not, uh, sorry, also to see us, not only to hear us. And uh, we did it because we have a very special guest today. Uh, his name is Asaf Karen. He is the Um, VP of Information Security, Enterprise Cybersecurity, sorry, in PayPal. And it's a great pleasure to have you here, Asaf. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Okay. Um, so um, since you are, uh, Asaf is located in Arizona, and uh, due to the COVID, it's very hard to get him in, uh, to our studio in Israel. We did this over Zoom. This is the first time that we are doing this. Maybe we will try to adopt and do more episodes like this. Uh, but first of all, all the attention to our guests. So again, it's great to see you here, Asaf. Thank you for uh, uh, making the time to meet with us. Can you uh, let, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background? How, you, how did you end up as VPN PayPal? Uh, uh, that's a question for my boss. I'm, I'm not, not sure he's happy about that. <laughs> kidding. Um, so from, from a professional perspective, I've started uh, doing security like everybody in Israel in the military. Uh, I've spent uh, uh, a few years in, in several, several places in the military doing information security. Uh, and then when I left, I joined the uh, Minister of Finance, uh, specifically Teila, or the e-government division, uh, where I've done, uh, I've done a few things there, uh, but the last thing I've done there was manage the information security team Uh, and for those of you who don't know, TLA or, or the eGov department does two things. It's the governmental ISP, so it protects the, uh, the government websites uh, from attacks. So it also allows all the government ministries or most of the government ministries to connect to the Internet as an ISP provider. It was a very interesting place to, to work for. Uh, I, I used to have a colleague that used to say that, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're the government, so everybody hates us, and we're Israel, and so everybody hates us, and we, we collide that together. Uh, and, and we were an interesting place to uh, to learn a lot of, of real world security after the military uh, because in the military you don't do real world security it's yeah. more fantastic yeah. and I have to say to Elias like the spearhead of information security in the government uh, they are uh, they have a lot of responsibilities and when asaf was there this was I think uh, the first time that Tela roads I mean, It really st- stood up above any, any other ministry in the government in the terms of technology. So yeah, I think you're, you're one of the guys who led this, I think, which was in early 2000, right? Or early something like that. Yeah, no. So I, I joined in, in 2007 uh, mm-hmm. and into uh, a, large, a large portion was done by other people that were already there and were doing a lot of very, very good things. I had a, a good fortune to be part of that team uh, and, and joining it. Um, A bit later in the process, but definitely uh, part of what we built there. I'm very proud of what we built there as a, as a team. Okay. Um, 
after that, I moved to uh, build my own startup. You've never heard about it because it never went out of stealth mode. Uh, we we did a, we had a consulting company and uh, and then and a product company and that was acquired by Variant. Uh, moved to work for Variant. Moved to do another startup. You know the, the usual Israeli story. Uh, and and after that second startup, I decided that I'm done with uh, uh, venture capital and I'm done with raising money and I wanted a, a steady job. So I. I joined PayPal in Israel five years ago, five and a half years ago. Uh, I actually started as uh, the manager for incident response in Europe and the Middle East uh, and managed four people in, uh, in PayPal Israel. Uh, very quickly, things changed around and I found myself leading the global incident response team, moved to the United States because most of the, my team was here in Arizona, uh, moved to the United States around four years ago. Um, started doing more, uh, and two and a half years ago, when uh, we've we've started going down the path of uh, adhering to some of the regulations that we have. So PayPal is a is a very large financial service organization, as you know, but the security team was very um, uh, startup minded. So it was one team uh, that was doing both governance, risk, and compliance, and technology. And our regulators came in and said, you're a financial service, so you should probably start splitting that apart and have a, what is called in, in the banking environment, a free line of defense model uh, with uh, a team that, that operates security, a team that does oversight on security and an internal audit. Uh, so we split the security organization. And thankfully, for some reason, they asked me to lead the first line of defense uh, for mm -hmm. security for PayPal. Uh, which back then was called Security Engineering Architecture and Operations. We've uh, rebranded to Enterprise Cybersecurity about a half a year ago because we, again, expanded what we're doing. So now uh, lead everything that is all the technology aspects for security in the company, uh, basically uh, starting from security operations, but ending with product development and, and building security capabilities for the company. And it's been a hell of a ride. Uh, I've been really, really uh, <laughs> excited to be here. So. Yeah, from Jerusalem through Be'er Shiva, right? Purple was in Be'er Shiva, and then uh, Be'er Arizona? No, I, I actually, I, I lived in Be'er Shiva for, uh, really? for a, a, a couple of years with my <laughs> wife, before she was my wife. Uh, I was serving in, uh, in Tel Aviv in the Kiryah uh, and, and taking the train every day, but uh, I, I actually didn't ever, I never worked in Be'er Shiva. Um, my oh. startups were uh, Netanya and, uh, and Tel Aviv. Really. <laughs> okay. So currently in PayPal, uh, the first topic that we wanted to uh, to touch base about was basically the cloud journey for uh, for PayPal. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. I know that uh, PayPal uh, came from mostly uh, on-premise background, and uh, throughout the years they've been shifted to the cloud. I'd be happy if you can share some of the some of this journey. Oh sure. Uh, so if you remember, PayPal is. Uh more than 20 years old now and, and 20 years ago there was no cloud mm -hmm. or you know there was but we didn't call it cloud we call it data centers uh, and, <laughs> and when we uh, when we started uh, we we had data centers so so very much uh, PayPal when in its basic uh, even even after the acquisition for, of eBay and then the split from eBay is a data center centric company it still is by the way I'm not not saying that we're not um, to the point where we, we used to own data centers. Mm -hmm. 
So it's, it wasn't just the, uh, you know, having our payloads operating out of, of the, we, we have a data center here in Phoenix, uh, where, where I live. And, uh, and we sold it recently. So we're, we're getting out of the, the data center owning business. We're still a very much a data center center company. And I think around five years ago, we said, okay, this cloud thing has a, has merit. We should probably take a look at it. And we started our journey towards, towards the public cloud. Now, this is a good story because we, uh, I'll, I'll cheat and, and cut to the end. We are now operating some of our payloads or workloads on the cloud. But um, the journey was, was pretty long. And, and if you think about it, we've, we've took it in steps. So uh, we started with our dev environments moving to GCP. And, um, and, and the dev environments are, you know, for a company like PayPal, dev environments are large. It's where you mm-hmm. learn uh, a lot of things. And, and, and that was one area where there was some immediate, um, I'd say immediate benefit that came from it because of the ability to scale. Uh, think about the dev environment that is very, very fluid. Developers need more boxes, they need new technologies, they need new capabilities. And in a data center environment, you need to continuously rack and stack more servers in order to get that kind of service going. And, uh, and, and you, you have more quotas and moving into a cloud environment really allows you to give the developers the scale that they need and, and, and the responsibilities on them on, on managing their environments, which is really, really great. Um, at the same time, we also started shifting our edge network into the cloud. Uh, and, and, and not necessarily agnostic to any cloud provider, but if we had you know, data centers in different places around the world where we uh, we ingested traffic into the PayPal backbone and shifting that into a cloud environment is really, really uh, interesting and important. Now, the way PayPal is structured, we have uh, frontier applications, mid-tier applications, and back-tier applications like mm-hmm. everybody else. What we've done for this holiday season is shift our frontier and mid-tier applications uh, into a public cloud data center, like and I, I'm air quoting data center here, mm-hmm. um, that is on par with the rest of our frontier data centers or data uh, environments, um, and operate that as a as a peer for everybody else. We, it was more than twenty percent mm-hmm. of our traffic that went to the public cloud uh, in the holiday season, uh, and that is an amazing. Um, an amazing thing, an amazing feat for PayPal as a company. Now, you know, that the journey uh, requires a lot of different things to happen because uh, let, let me talk about me and my organization from a security perspective. Uh, you know, one, there is the, the gap in uh, cloud risk versus on-prem risk that you need to deal with those call. Uh, the fact that you have shared accountability with a cloud service is is really, really interesting because you know this is my security, this is my data, this is my my work, and and now I'm going to run it on somebody else's servers, and they have access to the service. So what do I do from a and in a concept perspective? That's from a resiliency perspective. With the outages we've seen with with Google and with Amazon recently. That is a shared accountability, not on security. That is a shared accountability on availability. Uh, and, and we're taking those risks as we go and not own our own our own data center. So that was a, 
a mindset shift and, and I needed to go and, and have both an internal conversation with myself on, look, I believe the cloud is more secure mm-hmm. and the right way to go for our company and also have the conversation around me with people and say, look, while there are risks that we're taking with shifting into the cloud, there are also a lot of gains that we're gaining out of going to the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, you know, in an environment as, as large as PayPal's, and I'm not going to talk about specific numbers here and how many servers we run because it changes on a daily basis. It doesn't uh, really matter but, also. Yeah, but just the, the need to do asset management and inventory management and configuration management and vulnerability management and access management and manage all of these things in the data center contra- construct where you don't necessarily have out-of-the-box IAS uh capabilities that, that are there requires us to spend a lot of time in building those capabilities and building those uh, uh, processes. And, and that is really, really hard. And when we move to a cloud environment, we get all of these things kind of out of the box and we just need to go and, and utilize the cloud native capabilities there. Uh, another thing that it really, really needed to happen in that process is, uh, is a skills gap that we've had in the company mm-hmm. uh, you know when I look at, at my team we when we started out uh, in this journey we didn't have uh, you know, developers in infrastructure you know you didn't have uh, that infrastructure as code kind of concept we had administrators that that owned boxes and had to go and, and configure them and from time to time did scripting to manage their boxes and we have the, had developers on the other side but the ideas behind terraform or cloud formation that you need to start being a developer in order to manage infrastructure is is really different and we needed to start reskilling our teams to get to that point that we're able to do this and and last but not least in that process is it becomes much more a conversation about automation uh, you know either scale up scale down automation security automation security policy become really really important because while there are uh, a lot of benefits to the cloud we've all known the story of the open s3 bucket or the open gcs bucket depending on the cloud environment and uh, and we need to make sure that we're adhering to policy and that we're automating that because we you know the environment is so fluid that we cannot do these things manually and and that was a journey that was that did, well, to be completely honest that is still a journey uh that we're on what effect did the company that you acquired had on this i mean did, did they uh, did you pull them in did you use what they build in order to improve yourself i mean what kind of mature how did this fit in So when you think about the companies we acquired uh i'll, I'll take venmo for example uh venmo was born in the cloud it's cloud native doesn't have any on-prem footprint And, uh, and other companies that we, that we own uh, were born in the cloud. And some of them weren't born in the cloud, but have done the cloud transformation over the last five to 10 years uh, because it's easier uh, to transform smaller companies and shift them into the cloud than it is to uh, transform something like PayPal. But, and also because PayPal made the decision probably later in the process than, than these companies. And... And it creates two things. One, it creates the fact that we have a lot of experience in parts of the team that is needed in, uh, you know, in, in, in PayPal Core. Or, by the way, not just in PayPal Core. We have experiences in Venmo that are needed in Braintree or in Zoom, and you have experiences in HyperWallet or in Honey that we acquired in fully GCP. Um, 
that that are needed across the board and and we didn't necessarily have that that connection i mean uh when you acquire companies it's really hard to build that breakdown of the silos and that's one thing that we've we've really focused on in the last uh last few years whether via via enterprise architecture uh work that we've done and by some convergence of organizational teams and and bringing organizational teams together um in, in trying to break down those silos. Uh, but we, we still need to deal with the fact now we have, uh, we're multi-cloud I and mean, we have been multi-cloud for a while, um, but we have different technologies that are part of that multi-cloud. So for example, if we have a few entities that are in AWS, they will use, use things that are AWS centric. We have a few Google or a few companies that are GCP, then we'll, you'll use GCP centric work. If you have companies on Azure, they. The services are different. And from a security perspective, at least, I need to start thinking about, uh, is there a parity between all of these? And, and what it required me to do is take a step back and stop talking about technology and start talking about philosophy. And I became a philosopher uh, in, in this process and say- Ma Managers tend to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been joking. I've stopped doing any real work like four years ago. I, I, I sometimes get to code at night and my, my team yells at me because I'm not supposed to do that. Um, so it's, it's a conversation about, uh, you know, what's our cloud security philosophy? And based on that conversation, what are the controls that we're going to put in place? And whether we have the same controls or the same type of controls across our environment. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's been um, you know, and that's the first step, but the next step is now let's rationalize it. Now let's bring it all back in together so that we have one, one view. I'm not saying one, one kind of class because that is uh, market speak for me and I, I don't want to do that, but we, we have a view on, on the security posture of all of our, our different entities. And it's been, it's been again, a journey, but it's something that I'm hopeful for because I've, I've seen us succeeding in the past. Uh, I have uh, a, it's, again, it's more of a philosophy, but if you could, would you try to migrate all of those different cloud providers into one cloud? Or do you like the fact that you, you have different options and you can experiment and you can test what is better on each cloud provider? Yeah, you're asking in right week. I think after what we've seen today, uh, we, we need to have the ability to shift between cloud providers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the end, we, uh, while we, there is benefits to work with a single cloud provider uh, from a, probably from an efficiency perspective and from a, a product perspective and maybe from a cost perspective as well, uh, we cannot put everything on one cloud provider because in, you know, if there is a massive failure with one cloud provider, then, then we, we've put ourselves in that, that point. And if, so I ask part of that, if I ask you the same question a month ago before the Amazon and Google uh, big, uh, uh, breakouts? No, it, it would have been the same, the same answer. Okay. It would have been the same answer. It's, it's probably more attenuated now. Uh, now that said, I don't think that will change the way we operate at this point in time, but it's definitely something that is uh, a philosophical conversation that we're having of just how do we build resiliency into our, into our ecosystem uh, in a way that, uh, you know, both uses multiple regions and multiple, uh, multiple networks, uh, but also what happens if there is a catastrophic failure with one of our providers, by the way, it doesn't have to be, a cloud provider, there can be catastrophic. I and mean, if you take a look, think uh, 
three or four years back with the dying uh, DDoS attack that took down uh, yes. you know, half of the companies in the world. Um, yeah, you also don't need to have one DNS provider in, in that conversation and construct. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so building that kind of resiliency is something that we've been looking at and been doing for, for a while. Uh, again, it's it, there are multiple different ways to achieve that. Not, not necessarily saying there will be fully multi-cloud for everything that we do, but definitely looking at multiple cloud providers is something that we, yeah, we, we've yeah. been done at PATH and continue to be done at PATH. I also think uh, that, uh, you know, in, I, I talk to a lot of people and uh, th- there is always the, this talk about multi-cloud and how difficult it is to, to make uh, and to governance all the multi-clouds. But on the other, on the other side, the big companies like you uh, can allow have the, the manpower and also the, the, the skill of the, of the people that can make it. But, uh, there are, you know, a lot of uh, other companies that uh, think about it and it seems too much and it's, it's you know it's something that they need to take uh, in account uh, how to do it right uh, and uh, i believe that uh, you now after all these years know how to do it well i, I think everybody's on a learning journey at this point in time <laughs> and and even even the cloud providers are on a learning journey uh, and, and continuously improving their services so i'm i'm, I'm not yeah I'm, I'm i'm sure that we'll be able to to do whatever we, we set to do uh, and, and not not being cocky just because of the the level of resources and the focuses we have. Public cloud is is a major initiative for the company, and securing public cloud is a major initiative for me because it's a major initiative for the company. But if you think about it, it's not just the multi cloud uh, issues that we have. We also have going back to, to table core for it for a second. Uh, we we still have on prem, and and there are decisions that we're making today that I will not make if we were pure public cloud, for example, because we need to have parity between our different availability zones. And and that parity means that we need to choose technologies that are not necessarily always cloud-centric or or native cloud because everything needs to work the same. And and that is part of, uh, you know, I, I'm more worried about that than I am worried about multi-cloud because in the end, you know, what Amazon brings to the table and what GCP brings to the table and what Azure brings to the table, relatively say, I mean, I'm probably missing some cloud providers and somebody will kill, uh, you know, uh, call me <laughs> and uh, why, why didn't you call us out of this? <laughs> um, so, so in the end, the, and we're able to abstract some of that with, you know, choosing specific vendors that are multi-cloud, et cetera. Uh, but... It, <laughs> As a, as a security person, and I talked to a lot of vendors recently, everybody is building solutions for the cloud right now. Nobody's building solutions for on-prem. Yeah. So when you, you know, I, I talk to startups, what's your deployment method? Oh yeah, we work with GCP and, and Azure <laughs> and AWS. I'm like, okay, and uh, my on-prem environment over there is, are you doing anything over there? No, no we're not, do- I'm not doing on-prem. <laughs> now, who's on-prem anymore? Like, well, like most of my fleet is. Uh, yeah, it's so, amazing so, uh, how the market is shifting and uh, everybody keeps uh, forgetting where they came from. Yeah. yeah. Um, the second um, the second topic, I, I mean, we talk, we can talk a lot about multi-cloud and strategy and uh, maturity and how to grow in this, but we said that we're going to talk about uh, two topics. So the second topic that uh, we wanted to talk about was basically how the pandemic and the COVID-19 is affecting your digital journey. Uh, I mean, uh, Again, speaking from different angles, from the customer's angle, I think I guess there is a big bloom, uh, right? Everybody are doing, um, everybody 
they're doing online shopping, so this is a great time for you. But also the employee angle. I mean, we have to uh, have employees coming from home and protect them. So happy to hear about your thoughts. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we've been looking at the, at the digital payment revolution for, for yeah. personally, I've had a vantage point over the digital payment revolution for the last five years um, and, and looking at it. But PayPal probably has been looking at the digital payment revolution 20 years from now when, when it started it. And part of the, the good things of being part of this company is there is a lot of history in, in driving this, that kind of revolution. Um, the, the conversation around uh, the competition for e-commerce was not, and, and digital payments was not other digital payments companies, it was cash. And, and what happened around the pandemic with people moving more to online shopping and less using cash, and, and some people less using cash, not be using less cash, not because, of, um, not because of the fact they want to do online, but because of fears around on, uh, you know, getting getting uh, COVID nineteen. Not that I'm saying that, that that's uh, something that, that they should be fearful of, but just the, the concepts that have been coming on, like let's not mm -hmm. use cash, let's use online payments, let's use like tap to pay and QR codes, which is something. In Israel, everybody changed to credit card who have the NFC uh, chip in it, so you don't have to switch uh, the switch card with people. So yeah, yeah, um, and. So QR codes is something that we've, we've uh, again, pioneered in, in the market. Uh, and, and now in, in the U.S., you, you don't even need to take out your, your credit card. You go to the pharmacy uh, and, so, and somebody shows you a QR code, you scan it with the, the PayPal app and you pay for that. So, so you know, that there, there are new concepts on how to pay. And we're in a inflection point for digital payments. Uh, and, and I'm happy to say that, that for us as PayPal, the products and services that we have have never been more relevant. Relevant, mm -hmm. and we're seeing it. And you know, we we used to. And I, I was about to say we are, but we, we used to measure ourselves based on on what we call the Cyber Five, which are the days between retail Friday and Cyber Monday, mm -hmm. and and our peak days. And it, it used to be like this, or it still is a, a a holiday for the company because everybody those are our biggest days of the years. They're the biggest days for our merchants. So we service merchants that a lot of time will uh, will require those days to uh, to be profitable. And and so it's really important for us to be available uh, that we don't get any denial of service attacks. That we are uh, there for our merchants and there for our consumers. So everybody will come around and you know and be on screens and in, in war rooms and and make sure that everything is stable throughout that weekend. And in April this year, we hit the, uh, the transaction numbers for November the year before that. And so we got into all the peak numbers in April. And, and then we got into a ramp that continues from there. So we found ourselves needing to start thinking more about how we scale for that. I mean, if, if every day is a holiday peak day and... And from a effect perspective, every day is as important to our customers because they are not going out of their houses. They are in the houses. They're trying to buy things. A lot of times they will try to buy basic necessities. Like, you know, remember the toilet paper rush in the beginning of the pandemic? Well, knock on wood, not, not here anymore. Um, and we want to enable them to do that. Uh, you know, cloud is an intrinsic uh, method as part of that because... The lead times to manage scale for on-prem 
are big. And if you remember in the beginning of the pandemic, when, when China was mostly hit, those lead times were longer because uh, customs and because the Chinese factories were shut down and, and a lot of the equipment that we buy, we buy from China. And that was, uh, you know, I don't know when I'm going to get those servers that, that I'm going to need to rack and stack in my data center. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and in that cloud is, is something that is, allows us to scale up in an improportionate way to how we've scaled out in, in the past. And that was very important for us. The, I, I think that the pandemic has, uh, for our consumers, uh, just shown how important it is for us to continue being available and to continue growing. And we've seen a, an immense growth for the company. Now, good news for PayPal, not so good news for humanity. I really want us to go back to meet people. I'd be happy to fly over to Israel, meet my family and sit in the studio with you for a follow-up. But um, but it is uh, something that helped drive PayPal. Now I don't think that that momentum will stop. I think we've uh, the, we went through the digital payment revolution, and it's going to stay there. Uh, you know, people that have never paid online are now paying online, and when the pandemic is over, it's not going to stop. So we're going to continue down that path. Okay. And uh, what uh, what kind of measures did you take? I mean, did you have to scale? I mean, uh, did you really feel the difference uh, during the COVID? I mean, did you have to add more work power? Or is it something usual for you to scale up and down? So we, it's something usual for us to scale up, uh, <laughs> which is a good story. Um, I think the, the biggest thing with, with uh, the fact that we've managed to take 20-something percent of our workloads into the cloud environment is we now can scale down as well. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, because scaling down in the data center environment is really hard. You, you rack something and it's there and you can reuse it if you don't use it anymore. But you're not, your footprint doesn't go down. You don't take the server back and then sell it uh, yeah. usually. <laughs> um, so, so having that, that cloud environment allows us scale down and and we you know it was hairy for for a while while we were ramping up but we we managed to ramp up uh, you know we we always have a buffer of availability that's there for these kind of use cases really proud of the team for uh, being able to react so quickly to these changes and we'll talk about employees in a minute and that's also a big change that we've had but um, not wasn't a concern Throughout, throughout the year, it was just a highlight on how much importance we have on shifting to an environment where scaling is, is intrinsic to the environment versus uh, where we were in the past. Yeah, I, I just want to add that, uh, you know, I talk, uh, I talk with a lot of people also in Israel and in other places about cloud and what you said about, uh, you know, being able to maybe get stuck if you cannot uh, get the servers is something that uh, you know the, the amount of service that you need it's it's something that you know people take cloud like uh, something uh, that can only be technology but uh, there is a lot of things that uh, that cloud help us uh, today to be also global and also to be let's say independent uh, about uh, about a lot of things so uh, it's a good point that I think that uh, I, I didn't touch it uh, too much yeah one thing I, I failed to mention, and, and I keep talking about hardware, uh, but it's, there, there are things you can and we, we do over hardware to make sure that we're utilizing it better. So, for example, we've embarked on a containerization journey uh, over the last few years, and, and most of our workloads are containerized at this point in time. 
So you gain efficiencies that way as well, and, and you're able to scale even when you're on on-prem and hardware. Uh, but that is um, there is a limit to that, and, and the, the limit is the the physical hardware limit. So yeah. uh, so definitely part of that journey. I don't want to make okay. it sound like we're not running more. Moving to the employee angle, so what was it like shifting all the employees working from home and again in your environment where so many threats? Yeah, so we keep saying this in meetings, which is uh, which is getting a bit old, but I'll, I'll use the same soundbite. Uh, COVID-19 moved us from 72 offices to 39,000 offices. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about security in, in that, that regard, uh, you know, our perimeter controls You know, it used to be a conversation about perimeter, no perimeter, perimeter is dead in security. You, you know, we, we've heard that, but we still have perimeter controls mm-hmm. and they become, uh, I'm not saying that they become uh, obsolete, but they become less effective almost immediately when we need to do that. Now, when that kind of thing happens, there are a lot of things that need to, to click together to make sure that our teams are available and, and able to work. And there is the, how do we make sure that everybody has a laptop? And, and GitLab, because some of our team members are using desktops. How do we make sure that they have uh, peripherals that they need? You know, there is an ergonomic piece of it, like just chairs, uh, desks, uh, screens, etc. But from a security perspective, is how do people have access to what they need to access? And And, and you know, we, we focus on a risk conversation almost immediately is how, you know, how much are we opening up to, to the internet and to employees' homes? Because now every toaster and every fridge and every doorbell in the employee home is a threat vector to us because mm-hmm. they're sitting on the same network. Um, and, and that was a conversation that we had to go through um, And, and we've managed to both give people access, but also um, tighten down our security controls to a point where we, we feel better about, uh, about the access that we're giving. For example, we, we shifted everybody to uh, utilize machine certificates and, and connect just for PayPal devices. So uh, for, if it is for a period of time, Right now, bring your own device is no longer a concept that we're facilitating, uh, which was something that, that everybody was talking about in the past. But uh, it, we're not taking that approach because it's it's not the it's not the right thing to do at this point in time. We we're focused on bringing devices to our people. On, on the contrary, but uh, um, the other thing that we needed to do, which was uh, interesting, is take the security stack that we have on our endpoints and shift it to be a cloud first security stack. And I talked to a lot of security professionals uh, and a lot of security professionals will say, I need my antivirus systems and DLP systems and uh, proxy systems to be on-prem and my team will connect to my on-prem devices because I don't trust the cloud and I don't trust security vendors in the cloud. And it just doesn't work. Uh, again, it's a scale conversation, it's availability conversation. We have data centers for our corporate environment as well and around the world, but we're just not able to sustain so much. So we moved to a cloud first uh, endpoint where now our employees, instead of going to our data centers, go to the nearest cloud endpoint next to them in order to communicate or for the security tool and to communicate. Uh, and we're gaining that 
global presence because we are a very, very global company. We're gaining that global presence. We're also gaining efficiencies and experiences that are much better. I'll give you an example, uh, not, not naming any vendor names, uh, but if we used to shift people for proxy, we used to ship them in Israel through Frankfurt because that was where our pop was. Now the company that we use have a pop in, in Israel. So the, they, they will, first communication will be with a, cloud, with a cloud system in Israel, and then it will go into our environment. And that is a much better usability for, for our team members. And that's correct, by the way, not just for Israel, it's correct for every mm -hmm. other country where we're in. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that is really, really important. Uh, it's been a it's been a struggle not just because of the the sh the shift in people the, there is also a threat landscape shift as part of this you know attackers know this so um, we've seen in the ecosystem denial of service attacks that are uh, against VPN interfaces which we have never seen in the past usually DDoS attacks are against like the the main side and stuff like that. Now we're thinking about what, what if they attack my Teams or my, you know, Microsoft Teams or Zoom uh, endpoints? What if they attack my VPN endpoints? What if they attack my Citrix endpoints? What if they attack my um, our corporate environment? And and it's not that people are in the office and okay, so we, you know you, you can't access VPN from the outside. Go drive into the office, you'll be fine. Everybody is working from home, so also thinking how do you shift your defenses to to deal with those things as well. And, you know, knock on wood, we're fine. We haven't had, we've seen attacks, we see attacks on a daily basis, of course, but we haven't had any outages or any issues because of that. But it's definitely something that is, uh, we're seeing the changing threat landscape in front of our eyes. And the amount of, uh, I will say this, uh, I have a lot, I've seen a lot this year has, has been both hard, you know, with COVID-19 and, and some of the things that happened in the U.S. from a political perspective and you know, the murder of George Floyd and, and some of that focus and you know, natural disaster. This year has just been bad, but also shown us the best of humanity in, in that sense. The uh, just people coming together and, and the academic and, and industry creating vaccines. So, so a lot of good things that are happening as well this year. The fact that uh, attackers... Our hacker friends did uh, COVID-19 targeting of hospitals uh, makes me feel really bad. And, and one would hope that even in this kind, you know, even, even these people have, or they're criminals, they have a, a limit. But the fact that there, were, there is a rise in ransomware attacks against hospitals where people are getting treated, that is just, just feels bad. Uh, but that's a threat landscape that we're dealing with right now. So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of shifting around to make sure that we're, we're keeping ourselves available and keeping our customers and merchants data secure because that's, that's our promise to them. And, and it requires a lot of different thinking this year. Okay. Do you think that uh, you, uh, can you train the employee for uh, being more secure at home or it, it will always be backed up with technical measures and zero trust and Citrix servers and VPNs and stuff like this. I mean, I, I, I mean, I contemplate with myself. I mean, uh, what, what is the right mixture over here? So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to come out as a non-standard security person. Uh, I actually trust that the employees want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, even more than that, I trust developers want to do the right mm -hmm. thing. And, and that's something that you don't hear about in security teams. 
the in the end, if we provide people with with easy access to security tooling and tell them that this is the right way to do things, then they'll do it. But you know, people want to do their jobs, and and they will do their jobs no matter what. So if we make their their lives really really hard, then they'll bypass the tooling that we have and we'll create more risk, basically to the to the to the company and to themselves. Um, you know, the 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 usual example is phishing you know don't the phishing training don't click the link don't click any links but then we send them an email saying please click this link to approve this and like uh, you know yeah, so, so we're, we're training people on one hand and we're not not giving them the ability to identify things on the other hand mm-hmm. so i'm a true believer that in the end technology is the way to go we need to provide uh easy secure experiences for our employees and not try to train our employees to do something that they shouldn't be doing. The training should be in place where we talk about the why. You know, we're doing this and this is why we're doing it and this is why it's mm-hmm. important. And, you know, if you see something, say something and this is how to do that, but that's like basic, just basic ecosystem, like send an email to security incident like that. Um, but the training should be a lot about, look, this is how we operate and these are the capabilities that we've deployed in order to protect you and this is why we're doing it. Now, don't get me wrong, I failed in this this year, like multiple times where I'm like, okay, guys, you're good. This is a new tool. We've deployed it now. 10% of you don't have access to the internet anymore because this is really important that we do it now. Um, and we'll tell you why later. And, and, you know, a lot of it is like shifting around for, for the pandemic and, and bringing the right tooling in. Um, so, so it's still a journey for us, but, uh, but I really believe that people want to do the right thing. So yes on training, but a different type of training what we've seen in the past. And also yes on technology because it has to be backed with technological needs. Hmm. I have a question which is more related to the first part of the, of the conversation. I started my cloud journey because I was really amazed uh, on the difference between how I see cloud as an as entrepreneur, as a, you know, somebody who owns a startup and suddenly instead of developing into my uh, my uh, grandmother left to have a brilliant infrastructure to belong and the reaction I got it was like 10 years ago yeah but the reaction I got when I go into highly regulated industries um, such as finance industries and other uh, and, and health and stuff like this and the reaction I got you know like the cold shoulder and the, oh you're running on cloud we our regulators uh, forbid us so now this was 10 years ago and I've been uh, I, I saw this shift in the market moving from that how did you experience this I mean as PayPal is the highly regulated uh, environment uh, you're dealing with the regulator did you see this shift in uh, understanding cloud yeah so I think you t- say regulator and you, you uh, you, it's like in singular term, <laughs> I, let, me, let me say regulators, and there, there are a lot of them. And I think that there are different levels of maturity between different regulators around the world on, on cloud. Mm-hmm. And, and in some places, um, and I'm not going to name any specific regulators, not to, to not, not, not put myself in the fix with them. Uh, because we need to deal with them on a day-by-day basis. But in some places, the regulators are uh, very forward-thinking. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, cloud, fine, and, and, and uh, even supportive when you have that conversation. In some places, the regulators, uh, again, the more mature regulators will, uh, will say not only that 
work good with cloud. We also have this framework that we expect you to have from a cloud security perspective. And, and this is how you, you operate within this construct. And these are the companies that we approve and, and are okay with. And these are companies we're not okay with, and, and they have this level of, of support for the process. And in some places, some regulators not look. We, we don't we don't think about cloud as a secure thing. And and the good thing again for PayPal is that we can have those conversations. We're we're uh, a market leader in that sense, uh, and we we have those conversations on an ongoing basis. We've helped educate a lot on on why we think this is important. Uh, but I have seen this shift. I mean, if, if 10 years ago, cloud was a, a nasty word, then now it's not so much. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of the work that the cloud team companies have been doing, like Amazon and Google and Microsoft, in talking to these regulators and showing how they're serious about their regulations is also helping. So a lot of kudos to the cloud companies that have been part of this journey and helping educate the, the regulators. You know, but to your story, let me just put in one of mine. I, I remember, it wasn't 10 years ago, it was more than that, uh, that uh, first startup we were developing, I was developing on a computer in my house and uh, not in GitHub because it was not a thing. And um, one day something happened, you know, something that might, might or might not have uh, included my mother-in-law. Uh, and uh, during a checklist on, on the, the, the server, that's a control delete and, you know. And no more startup. One of my founders, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and one of my founders drove to my house and took the, the, the desktop away and told me, you're not allowed to have this in your house anymore. I'm taking it. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, on one hand, yes, all those conversations around cloud is, is uh, and the rest. But on the other hand, you know, if we had GitHub, <laughs> that would be great. Perfect. Okay. So uh, we are running out Moshe, of time. Moshe, just uh, just before uh, you go to this, run to the summary, if I can ask the, la the last question, Asaf, is you know all your journey and all the changes yeah. and all the difficult. We lost uh, you, Ariel. And all the difficult uh, things that uh, that. Uh, uh, happened in, in the last time, in the last uh, uh, time. What are you know the the challenges that you see right now? You know in the in the future something that you will focus uh, that can be interesting uh, for us to hear. Yeah, so I, I think that the again this week uh, you're asking the right week uh, for. Uh, for years, the security industry has been looking for a good example of supply chain attacks, and we, we finally have that mm -hmm. with uh, SolarWinds and, and what's happening with the U.S. government. So I think that will be a big conversation that, that we as, a, as an industry will need to have on, on you know, what are the risks that we're taking. Because, you know, patching is really important and getting uploads or updates from your vendor is really important. But now, now you know, we have an example where that was malware. So how do we manage those risks? I think that will be a big thing next year. Um, for me personally, access is something that I've been focusing on for a while and maturing access capabilities. Uh, and I'm going to continue focusing for, for a while. Um, and uh, you know, in, in my own area is a lot about how do we mature the organization to be a, uh, an infrastructure dev organization for security, which is something that we we started down that path, but but really interesting to see how we can 
really get the force multiplier out of that versus where we are right now. There's still work to be done there. Perfect. So I think this was a very interesting uh, conversation. Uh, I would do another one about your uh, specific cloud challenges, but uh, we'll talk about this later on, <laughs> if we can uh, arrange another one. Uh, but it was really interesting. So thank you very much for your time. Ariel, you want to close things up? Uh, no, I, for me, it was uh, great uh, to talk. Uh, this is the first time that uh, we have this blog uh, conversation, and uh, it was great. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, also we learn a lot about, uh, uh, let's say, PayPal uh, uh, journey to the cloud and, uh, and yourself also, Asaf. And this is, you know, the kind of story that uh, we are looking for uh, to share with, the, with people. So really thank you for your time. And thank you, Aaron, also uh, for his time that uh, allowing us to, uh, to happen. And uh, thank you to, uh, to everyone. And uh, until the next time. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Good day.